0: Hey y'all, this is Liberated Love Notes, a podcast on Living Corporate Network, hosted by yours truly, Brittany Jenae, creator of Liberated Love Notes, Critical Self-Reflections and Affirmations for the Culture. Y'all already know Liberated Love Notes is your source for weekly doses of self-reflection, affirmation, and reimagining for us by us. Y'all, this week, I want to affirm that the system will not have our souls. It can and it will try, but it will not have our souls. I will not lose my soul. We will not lose our souls. I feel like That is worth stating and overstating and reminding and over reminding, especially as we perhaps exist in spaces that just weren't created with our souls in mind, right? I always find myself, or I have recently found myself in in conversation around the role of internal change agents. And so I think I've mentioned before, y'all know I work in the line of diversity, equity, and inclusion. It comes up often, the role of internal DEI practitioners and even external consultants in organizational change, how particularly for Black people, there's always going to be this assumed risk that comes with being in a role whose sole purpose in some ways is to buck the system, to disrupt the system, but perhaps was hired or welcomed into that system as a way to pacify and or maybe even just uphold the status quo and system, right? And so what does it mean to be called into a role that is expected to buck the system one would assume should be bucking the system but is really more often than not situated as a tool to sustain the status quo even for those who are not in you know like formal dei or formal roles that are hired to disrupt the system there's almost always i think this clarity you must embody as a black person going into any predominantly white institution or white led system where even your you know presence your presence feels a bit political or disruptive right like it's not even part of your role <laughs> but just being in the space by nature of who you are, is disruptive. And so how you talk, engage, when and how you choose to take up space, when you choose to like challenge and disrupt the system can have some real implications, risk. And in some cases, I imagine and have experienced for myself. It can feel us, y'all. It can have us feeling, you know, stuck. Maybe even stifled in fear. Maybe even experiencing this sense of complacency. Maybe even disgust because it can be tiring to inherit this obligation. To contort and change and assimilate and code switch and in worst cases lose touch with oneself daily just to just to survive and be in that system. I think about assimilation and code switching and I'm just gonna I hate to assume that folks even um, or everyone has the language or familiar with like some of these terms. And so I pulled for purposes of this conversation in the Liberated Love Notes card deck, there's actually glossary cards. And so I pulled the glossary card that defines assimilation and code switching from my perspective. And it reads as this, a survival tactic that black people use in white spaces or interactions with white people When we change the way we talk, dress, or express ourselves to make them comfortable and manufacture a sense of self-value. That last part is important. When we do it to either make others comfortable, I think about the locus of power there, and manufacture a sense of value, manufacture a sense of self-value. Sometimes engaging in this tactic too much or for too long without attention to our healing and sense of self can lead to an identity crisis or even trauma. We throw around these terms, specifically in my work of assimilation and code switching. I don't, I don't know we do enough talking about the impact, identity crisis, and sense Trauma when I think about assimilation and code switching, I think about the loss and personal agency that is often happening, how it's forced, how it could compromise, like the tactic could compromise what is fundamental to just our core values or who we are. When we should start showing up in ways that are so distant from our own value system what we know to be true about ourselves in some cases i think assimilation and code switching uh, if it becomes just a, a common tactic or too common of a tactic it can end up being something that we're performing like beyond our own consciousness Meaning like we don't even know we're doing it because it's kind of like a an autopilot way of engaging, and so we are no longer right when you're on autopilot, we are no longer choosing any more than we are existing. I think that is how i make that's how I make sense of assimilation and code switching, a survival tactic, yes, and there is something about naming what seems to me to be this loss of agency and power. I am no longer choosing any more than I am just existing. I don't even know that I'm doing it. And what I'm doing it creates even more distance between my values and who I am and how I'm showing up. And that's heavy. And I think that's very different from Healthy adaptation, right? Healthy adaptation. I think it's different because it goes back to, from my perspective, that power, that agency, that choice. When I think about how healthy adaptation shows up in me, I think about what it means to honor y'all. The range and complexity by which I am able to engage with others, depending on how I feel. And when I choose, talk about power and agency. When I choose, that's that thats that power piece, right? In this moment, I am choosing to, for example, I may choose to lean heavy on my emotional expressiveness and social intuition because it feels right, because it feels effective, because I am choosing to, not because I have to, but because I am choosing to, because it'll support me with what I'm trying to accomplish in this moment. And because again, I am I am complex. <laughs> How I choose to show up is complex. Ain't nothing about me finite nor a binary. I am complex. I am nuanced you know, heavy on the gray and it is a gift. And so I choose, I choose, I choose to show up. Uh, and when I choose, when I leverage my power and agency in that way, it is a way of me using my power, not losing my soul. And there's a, there is a difference worth amplifying there. When I choose to honor the range and complexity by which I am able to engage with others dependent on how I feel. And again, when I choose. <laughs> because again, we are so complex. We owe it to ourselves to honor that complex and nuance. When I choose to leverage my power and agency in a way to healthy, right? healthy adapt and some healthy adaptation. It is a way of me using my power, not losing my soul. More of the latter or more of the former y'all. We want to use our power, honor the complexity of who we are. We don't want to lose our soul. One of my colleagues, Dr. 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 Terrence Harewood uses this framework, a line of questioning that I believe gets to this beautifully. And he asks Black and Brown people to reflect on these three questions. And it hits what is my goal? What is my role? How do I accomplish these without losing my soul? These systems will not have our souls, y'all we will not lose our souls. I want to bring back in to this conversation because I mentioned on last uh, episode that I'm reading this book, Spirituality in the Black Helping Tradition. I referenced it in our last episode and there's a passage that offers what I think is a beautiful connection to history. The Martins, in one chapter, share some historical anecdote on the role of slave preachers and conjurers as as black helpers. They talk about how slave preachers and conjurers managed to censor the liberation and spiritual fortitude of their people, Other enslaved Black people, even in the worst of conditions. And so even in the context of dehumanization and others seeking to use them, the slave preachers, as a tool of oppression of their people, even amidst that, how familiar and and common does that sound? Even in the context of dehumanization and... Enslavers seeking to use preachers and conjurers as a tool to oppress their own people. Enslaved preachers or slave preachers and conjurers were able to prioritize community. They saw their roles as critical to reminding other enslaved Africans that their soul, their spirit would always be their own. They also offered, from my perspective, and I've been reflecting on this, they offer us possibility for what it means to be in a system, but still be for your people. I kind of want to read another a passage, y'all. Let me find the page here. I want to read a passage that I found compelling. <laughs> maybe, look, maybe Liberated Love Notes podcast So evolve into story time or something. I'll read this here. I'll read this here. And promise, 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 I'll make the connection. Although the chief role of slave preachers was to keep their people in check, most slave preachers were too close to their people to be an instrument of their oppression. As the traditional black call and response preaching style suggests, Slave preachers in their black congregations were generally one in spirit with one responding to and feeding off the religious fervor of the other in a quest to feel the spirit. Mm, Talk about being one. Even in the context of a system that would have us divided, talk about being one. Slaves generally knew that slave preachers had to wear the mask when they were around their masters and they expected to hear the slave obey be your master sermons. However, in their own spiritual space, they knew that their relationship with the slave preachers was one of spiritual support and communal exchange. Slave preachers, in turn, could not help but realize that their own greatest source of spiritual energy, support, and reinforcement was their people. They knew that they could continue to be one with the people so long as they were genuine and sincere. Talk about clarity, clarity around whom you are accountable to, even as you work within systems. Mm, who are you accountable to? Hopefully to the people. There's another passage in here that I thought was good. While the most important duty of the slave preachers was to inspire hope, Their most profound function as black caregivers was to help give the slaves a feeling of spiritual advantage. If the masters were superior in wealth, wrath, and weapons, slave preachers made slaves understand that they had the moral and spiritual advantage Slave preachers, more than anybody on the plantation, were able to point out the religious hypocrisy of the slaveholders, the contradiction between their professed beliefs in Christianity and their stealing of human beings from their homeland and holding them in bondage. While the slave masters, brought slave preachers on the plantation to reinforce their master's own brand of Christian teachings, the slave preachers were generally the very ones who were leading the charge to help slaves distinguish the hypocritical religion of their masters from true Christianity, to reject the master's moral precepts, and to adopt the revolutionary idea that white people were no better than black people in the eyes of God. I just think there is something compelling about this here. The system will not have our souls. The system cannot have our souls. We will not lose our souls. I will not lose my soul. And, And even when we are working within the context of systems not created with us in mind, We still have the responsibility and can find ways to center the liberation of our people. The ancestors grant us with possibility, y'all. The ancestors grant us with possibility. This brings to mind, and I'm about to wrap up with two liberated love notes. Two of my favorite from the deck that resonate with me (laughs) and this conversation. The first one reads... Assimilation and code switching are not Black Jesus's nor my ancestors' plan for me. I am worthy of showing up as the fullest expression of myself when I choose. Talk about power and agency. Mm. When I choose. And the last one here, which really gets at really gets at what I believe to be the gift, the gift of agency, resistance, power, resource, and community that our ancestors have bestowed upon us, communal validation, communal validation, because a lot of times we can find ourselves looking for validation in the sources of Mainstream, white led institution. And that can have us again distanced, distanced from not just who we are, but the work we should be engaging in. And so I'll end with this liberated love note. My worth and legitimacy are not dictated by white institutions. I'm going to double back on that, y'all. My worth and legitimacy are not dictated by white institutions. My allegiance is and will always be to community, to black community, even when I am working within the context of white systems. My worth and legitimacy are not dictated by white institutions. Y'all remember that whole, I am not my work. When we are not our work, We can disrupt and disassociate our identity and who we are, like core to who we are, our values, all our histories, our rememberings. We can can disassociate that from what we do. We can disassociate that from the systems that we exist in. We can disassociate it, and then be more primed to either think critically about the system, engage around you know constructive feedback about the system. If we are so attached to the system that we can't think critically about how it is oppressing us and our people, we cannot center community. We might end up losing our souls that's the whole point of i am not my work y'all i just went on a tangent i'ma reread this and for real for real i'm gonna wrap up my worth and legitimacy are not dictated by white institutions my allegiance is and will always be to my community the black community even when i am working within the context of white systems And ain't nothing wrong with that. We will not lose our souls. The system will not have our souls. I will not lose my soul. Peace, y'all.